76 of the Unique on a Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular Midwest girl trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. Today, mother, author, and coach Roseanne Forte from Arizona shares her story of alcohol addiction. Oftentimes, it can be a touchy subject in the church, but it is an area that needs to be addressed. Roseanne shares her victory journey, her job as an alcohol-free coach, and how you can recognize the sign of a problem in your life. Welcome back to the Unique on Purpose podcast, where we head on over to Arizona to speak with Roseanne Forte. And Roseanne, it was so funny because when I first said your name, what's the first thing that pops up? Well, it's the TV show Roseanne, but you're not your your name isn't all together. It's actually like two separate names, so I have to remind myself it's Rose Anne. And Roseanne, you're a mom. You are you're kind of a jack of all trades, really, because you're podcasting. You're the author of the book with your ministry of the same name, the plans that ha- he has for me. And you are what's really known as an alcohol coach. I mean, can I say it correctly? Is that is that the correct way to say that? Yeah, I say it, alcohol-free coach. Alcohol-free yeah. coach, it's... yes, that makes more sense. But we're going <laughs> to go into a little bit of that, maybe talk a little bit about your book. But I want to hear your Jesus story because our Jesus story normally is what leads us into our purpose and what we are doing today. So kind of give us that background. Oh, you're so right on that. I uh, found Jesus at a very difficult time in my life, as many do. Um, I had a very toxic marriage and I was pregnant with my second child and separated from my then husband. And I had in-laws who were Christian missionaries and they suggested I go to church. And I thought that was a fabulous idea. (laughs) And I found Jesus there. I, um, I really, God's word really spoke to me so well. I just loved reading the Bible. It just came alive for me. And I just continued my walk. I think I was in my 30s, early 30s or mid-30s at that time. So I spent a lot of my life uh, as a self-ascribed heathen. Okay. (laughs) But I love that because I do truly believe that God has used every piece of my experience, suffering, joy, and gifts for this moment in time right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, when people come come to me with a problem, I can go, yeah, I understand that. Right. Yeah, I understand that and have compassion. And usually people, you mentioned I'm an alcohol-free coach, right? people come to me and go, I started drinking when I was 16. They go, I started when I was 13. So (laughs) I got you beat. Yeah, you have that relatable story. But I I do have to ask, and I apologize for asking this, but you had this toxic relationship with your husband. Did that have to end? Unfortunately, it did end uh, after 29 years of marriage. I really had stayed in that marriage believing God would 
touch his heart and our marriage would, his life would transform and, and our marriage would transform. And what I realized is God had a bigger plan for me, a different one that mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't realize until I was separated from that. Mm-hmm. And I also believe as I look back and look at the problems because people go, well, you're a Christian. And I did. I love Jesus. I was a Bible study leader. I, I spoke at women's conferences. I, I started a, a ministry for the sick and dying. So I was in God. I was loving God. But I, was, I had one foot in and one foot out because I so desperately wanted this marriage to work. Yeah. And I kind of wasn't all in on his words and his admonitions. And mm-hmm. it's certainly, certainly something that I don't recommend, having one foot in and one foot out. But many of us do as Christians, mm-hmm. right? We, we pick and choose those aspects of God's warnings mm-hmm. uh, that, that we want to pay attention to. And the power of the enemy in this world and the messaging is so strong And that's what I want people to understand is God's truth versus the world's deception as it relates to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you became a Christian. You end up splitting up with your husband because of how toxic the relationship was. And now you're going down this path of you're doing ministry and you're speaking at women's conferences. But alcohol played kind of a high priority in your life. Tell me about that and how it became a problem. I think over time, you know, I'm, I'm in my 60s right now. And over time, so it was a, a long, like a 45-year track. But for some people, depending on their genetics, they can get into problems really quickly. And for me, it was just building and building. And I used alcohol for all the reasons that society says you should whether it's to relax or to have fun, to build on uh, romanticism. And ultimately, I started heavily using it to manage stress. I was an executive. I was a mother of three of my own children and a stepdaughter. I... um, I was trying to do marriage traditionally, so if you can imagine that, how that must have worked. Yeah, it was just, there was a lot of stresses, and I was really very unhappy. I had a beautiful life, but ultimately I was so unhappy with this living one foot in, one foot out. And oh, so I used this alcohol. was a problem, I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, but this was a problem in your marriage, not just afterwards. This was... I, would, I would say that we drank together okay. we were partiers okay and and i went my drinking went off the rails after the marriage i uh definitely drank too much in the marriage uh but it really got to epic proportions mm-hmm. once once the marriage collapsed so it, it's just it was a growing problem my dependency started uh, in the marriage mm-hmm. and my epic proportional problems happened after, and you know, just not, 
not being able to deal with life on my own. You always using alcohol to solve for my stress yeah. issues. Yeah, and you're trying to mask that pain. I mean, if you're in a painful marriage, in a sense, you're you're trying to mask that pain with yeah. drug that we call alcohol. Where? What was your turning point? What was the moment that you've been drinking for this long and you finally said, oh my, I have to get help. This is an issue for me. I knew it for quite some time after my divorce that I was trying to manage it. Mm. Uh, you just negotiating all kinds of parameters around it because when you're in it, you just don't want to give it up. So you're like, okay, only on the weekends or only with my friends, only after five, only on holidays. There's just a lot of parameters that you try and put around it. And then you start noticing you can't manage the parameters you set. So mm-hmm. that starts to spiral down in your self-confidence. Well, what happened? I, I'm a, I was a very successful executive when I put my mind to something and I did it. Why is this a problem? Yeah. And, and so you know you have a problem. You don't, for me... I kept it a secret because I didn't want anybody to label me. Oh, you're an alcoholic, you know, and I just, I was really opposed to that, especially with my self-esteem mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. To add a label, oh, that's all, that's why there was a problem. You were the problem. And I just refused to believe that. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I knew my worth in Christ. And I had really grown and tried to manage situations in the best way I knew how. Like, that comment makes me feel like. I wasn't a creep. I, I was, you know, I was reactionary because of the alcohol. But I, I wasn't the typical person. In other words, I used to be an executive coach. And I've coached a lot of high-performing executives and I was a high performing person too and it, and that's what I'm trying to get out it people have this idea like oh you beat your wife and you're hiding the bottle in a paper bag and you can have a lot of alcohol problems without getting to this picture in your head mm-hmm. I used to be an I used to be an enrollment coach for the for the first organization that helped me with the problem and I enrolled both men and women and it was really funny how men would immediately go to well it's not like I'm beating my wife or something and to I'm justify like, it well to justify it or to go well that's when I have a problem mm-hmm. <laughs> right I'm not one of those. I don't beat my wife. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that never came to my mind. <laughs> that, that never occurred. But that's what you see on TV. If somebody has an alcohol problem, they're beating their wife. Right. Right. So, right. Right. So you decided at some point, walk me through this, that it's time to get help. And where did you go? So that, that's, I love that question. So what happened is right before COVID, I realized that I had a very serious problem. And I I saw this ad that said, hey, come spend a weekend in, it was a hotel in Southern California somewhere on the beach. 
and learn how to have a fun weekend alcohol free. And I'm like, wow, I don't remember the last weekend I didn't have alcohol. Yeah. And I, and I signed up for it because it was a super positive approach. You know, the ads are people jumping up and down, hiking, <laughs> and I just thought it was great. And then what happened is COVID hit. And I, it, it just, it hadn't reached this country yet, but you had those pictures uh, in Italy of the bodies just being thrown into a refrigerated truck. And I, it scared the daylights out of me. Two things you need to manage COVID were your lung function and your immune system. And alcohol affects both of those things in a very big way. Mm-hmm. So I got scared into just quitting on my own. But I was getting ready for this program that got canceled. Oh, no. And, and they decided to do it online. Mm-hmm. So I participated in Zoom in this conference, which clearly wasn't as fun as being in right. in Southern California. But I really liked it. And that's where I enrolled in this program. And it was a 90-day challenge. And I was so transformed. I couldn't believe it. And I told the guy that started the program, it was secular. And I, I was just like, this program is amazing. I'd love to work with you. Mm-hmm. Because he had seen so much transformation. I had lost weight. My confidence was up. I was happy. I, my blood pressure was down. My peace and joy were up. Feeling connected. To, to other people it was just truly transformational mm-hmm. it, and he put me to work and I ended up being an enrollment coach and a client journey coach and that's where I started coaching and talking to I mean probably hundreds of people about their alcohol problems and understanding there were a lot of Christians coming into the program with a lot of guilt and shame And I remember telling them, you'll see a lot of God's wisdom embedded in this program. And I ended up starting to, I had so many Christian participants in the program, I ended up just taking a notebook every morning. And I find a scripture and then a prayer, and I take a picture of it and text it to the participants. And they're like, oh, my gosh, Shazam, this is so good. You Like, keep doing this. We love it. You know, you should do something with that. And that's how the devotional came to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I ended up, you know, expanding it to the devotional is a scripture and then something called a mindful minute which is just a discussion point about how the scripture relates to your bad habit and then a prayer. So uh, that's how the devotional came to be as well. So you started this devotional and then the devotional led to your, the ministry. Yeah, the devotional, I ended up doing the devotional. I ended up leaving that program and starting another secular program with a coach from there. And so we started coaching more people, but my heart was really being called to, to, to publish this book. And I started getting really stressed out about how I was going to take this faith-based approach 
and and still continue the secular business. Right. And my my partner was not a Christian, and mm-hmm. I was just trying to push him like maybe we ought to do this, maybe we ought to have a Christian division. And, and he's like, oh, I don't think so, Roseanne. Yeah. So we separated, and then I, I published the book, and I created the coaching program. Yeah. The book is The Plan He Has for Me, a 12-week daily devotional for freedom from alcohol, which I will post in the show notes. Uh, and I like what you said, and maybe I should talk about this later, but I want to get it off my brain while I have it right now. But you talked about getting set free from the habit. And I like that you said that because oftentimes, not just Christians, but non-Christians, everybody, because it's a human thing, will trade one habit for another. So we'll say, well, I'm going to give out alcohol, but then all of a sudden we start maybe overeating. Or Mm -hmm. we give up pornography, but then we move to gambling, right? So you have to break free from the habit itself, not just transfer it from one to the other. So I like that in your book, you kind of have that of we're, we're just, we're stopping just an addiction habit in general, right? Yes, exactly. It's our body's desire to get that dopamine hit. Mm. And, uh, and I, I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes we do trade and what we want to do is uh, many people trade it a good habit for a bad habit, which is what I'm trying to do. Like in this coaching and in this devotional, we give up something that we are really attached to and romanticize about the joy it gives us. Mm -hmm. And then I try and expose the lie uh, of that because we need to take an assessment of what does it cost us? It's really interfering with the relationships, with our physical health, with our mental health, with our productivity, right? Why are we romanticizing it? Because, because the enemy wants us to continue to romanticize it. So we've taken something out that we thought was fun. What are we putting back in? And that's where we start searching for our God-given gifts and talents. You know, mm. what have you all... What have you always wanted to do? Um, you know, sing, bowl, golf, <laughs> re, uh, repurpose furniture, cop- carpentry. Mm-hmm. There are things, I think, in each of us where we go, I wish I had time for that. Right. I wish I had done that. I wish I could go back to school for that. And I really encourage people to go for it. Because they've just freed themselves up a lot of time. you freed yourself up in drinking time, in recovery time, and from mentally negotiating with yourself constantly about how you're going to control your habit. Mm-hmm. So, and you freed up you some have, money, too. Oh, my goodness, yes. And, and I, have, I have one client that I love to think about because when I did the enrollment call with her, she's like, I go, well, what does life look like? If, if you put this to the side, she's like, I don't know, maybe a couple of pounds. I'm like, come on, think bigger. <laughs> What's possible? And she goes, well, I've always wanted to get my real estate license. And by the end of the program, she had gotten it. Yes. And she's, su- she's supplementing her income with a real estate license. She gets a raise. And, pe- and people don't understand it's 
that's why I challenge people for 12 weeks. Like, look at what's possible because looking at it like, this is bad for you. You better quit forever. Oh, it's just too daunting. Mm -hmm. I just want people to challenge themselves with seeing what's possible. How are you sleeping better? Are you processing better? Do you feel more connected? Do you feel healthier? And documenting that journey because the reality is there, I'll call it a re-engagement rate because I don't like that relapse Mm -hmm. word. There's a lot of words I just don't like. Uh, The re-engagement rate is pretty dang high. Uh, It doesn't matter rehab, AA, or any other program out there. The re-engagement with alcohol or the the habit, the drug of choice, whatever it is, high. But if you gave yourself 12 weeks, you at least now have this baseline from which to judge. And many people from uh, the first program that I was in followed me to the second program because they drank again. And but the good news, but the good news is. They said, wow, my life was so much better. This stinks. I need to try this again. Mm -hmm. And and then they go, whew, I remember how good this feels. Now, does your approach to saying, hey, what is, because I like that. Hey, what does your life look like without it? What are you gaining instead of, well, this is what I'm losing, but you're really focused on what are you gaining when you give up alcohol? Does that... I don't know anything about AA. Does that, your approach different then from AA? Talking about what you gain versus what you're giving up? Well, I've never, um, I've never participated in the AA program, but I've talked to a lot of people that have, and I had to go to three meetings because at one point in my life, I did get a DUI Mm -hmm. and that, and that was like, nope, not for me, but, Last week, I went through the 12 steps because I'm like, I, just so you know, and I know a lot of your listeners will be listening to this, the 12-step program in the medical community is the best-known effective program to man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm... I'm challenging a few things about that. I don't want to challenge that it's not effective, but I think people need to get to the outright, downright, I'm losing everything before they participate in it. Yeah. You know, they're they're court ordered or they're losing their marriage or something, some big event. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when, when people, so here's, I think, uh, step number five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And while on the surface, it doesn't seem, I mean, it seems like we should acknowledge our sin, right? A lot of people drink because of trauma and what was done to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? uh, even veterans, right. Right? right? Veterans in the midst of war have big substance abuse problems. Rape victims, molestation victims. First responders, because uh, they're dealing with trauma right. on a regular basis. 
And so they're trying to deal with that pain with the substance. And yes, we do. When we use a substance, our wrongs kind of increase (laughs) incrementally. So, so, but here's my comparison to step number five. We understand that we all fall short of the glory of God. Alcohol or whatever this addiction is, has caused us to do things that we are ashamed of. Mm -hmm. As a, as a result, we have not accepted the forgiveness that has been granted to us by our loving Father and not accepted the price Jesus paid on the cross. God's word tells us that the slate is wiped clean, and without understanding the beautiful gift of forgiveness that is granted to us, we will not be able to look forward to another plan, mm-hmm. his plan for our lives. So it's more a more gentle, loving what's possible approach, not, look, you've got a lot of sins. I want you to write them down. I want you to tell other people. Now, I have not done AA, but this is my perception of okay. it. So forgive, forgive me mm-hmm. of, you know, how I perceive it. Right. But the problem is I think a lot of people perceive it like that based on the reaction I'm getting with the book. Okay. Uh but do you, does that make sense? Or? No, I see what I see what you're saying. And if people don't understand uh, what step number five is in the AA, there are different steps that you take before you have to get to the next step. Step that leads right. to freedom. So I just wanted to make that clear. Now, on your yeah. website, you talk about how you're wanting to break the stigma with alcohol. What does that mean? What is the stigma? From my perspective, it's that stigma of being called alcoholic because it labels people. And I don't, again, I'm going to just share that the pastor of my megachurch is very proudly wears that label. And he says it reminds him of his shortcomings. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm respectful that people calling themselves alcoholics is helpful for them to pursue a life without alcohol. In my approach, I just say that God doesn't need you to be called any particular name. It's just wonderfully and beautifully made in his image. And we all fall short of the glory of God, right? We all are subject to sin and we all have choice, Mm -hmm. right? Labeling as we, discussed before I love I read a book once where I've actually read it three times on audible uh, Anthony DeMello it's called awareness and he gives an example in that book that has really stuck with me about labeling he says when there's a small child holding his mother's hand walking down the street the child looks up and sees a bird And he looks at the beak and the feathers and the eyes and the colors of that bird. And his curiosity is just consistent. And mom goes up and goes, bird. And he goes, bird. And it's wonderful. We've labeled it. But then the next time the child goes down the street, the curiosity may have stopped. And he just looks at the bird points up and he says bird right 
So labeling stops curiosity, and we all already talked, at least for me, I don't know how you feel about um, the word alcoholic. It conjures up really a lot of things that come with the label, and I think it stops curiosity about the person, about how they suffered, about how that came about, about why it's a problem. Right there's a lot of compassion I think that 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 needs to go into why that person is struggling uh, with or whatever. Okay. So that's that's pretty much where I come at on the stigma, and then there's other words too that I'm resistant to recovery. And because you're in recovery for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and so sober, not because it's not accurate, but because to me it conjures up, oh, you're one of those. Mm. <laughs> so that's, that's why I always say I'm choosing to be alcohol free because it's a much better way to live mm-hmm. is these terms have turned into a form of labeling mm-hmm. that I'm resistant to. Mm-hmm. So let's yeah. talk to the person right now that may be struggling. How does that person know if alcohol is starting to affect their health and it's starting to become a problem? On the health side, you know, what's frightening is it's not always evident. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to the doctors and you're not taking blood pressure or doing blood tests, that show, you know, certain liver enzymes and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, blood pressure and and liver does not present as a problem until it's it's at scary levels. So I would just recommend anyone to go and have your regular checkups to the doctors. The the um, the incidence of cirrhosis of the liver is expected to triple in the next seven years, by 2030. and Because of so much alcohol the, consumption in our country? Yeah, really? Yeah, yep. Wow. Yep, according to National Institute of Health. And the frightening thing is, those who it's affecting are the younger ones. Like, And I think the age range is like 25 to 39. Mm-hmm. It's really the incidence of cirrhosis of the liver is high. And those are the ages I didn't go to the doctors as regularly back then either. In terms of the question you asked, first of all, it's not always evident mm-hmm. in your health, but it will start being evident in your, I'm looking for the right word, productivity. Mm-hmm. You're not feeling as good in the morning, okay. so you're not use, you're not using the creative part of your brain. You're just using the cognitive processing part that's flowchart thinking and making decisions quickly because you're just not operating at full capacity. Mm-hmm. It will affect the mental space that you're taking up because what did I do? What did I say? Mm. Oh my gosh, how am I going to, you know, face that person? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of shame, especially if you're a Christian. There's a lot of shame involved in your behavior because that's 
that's the intended purpose of alcohol, to dull your senses. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, you don't have the ability to discern like you should. It's the recognition of what I call the mental gymnastics of putting lots of boundaries around your drinking that you can't live up to. And, and so what it sounds yeah. like is a lot of self-awareness. Like you have to really be self-aware of yourself, of your mind, of your body to realize I have a problem. 100%. And I was never a self-aware person ever. Mm-hmm. And that, that is really a lot of the coaching and a lot of spending every day with God and his word and documenting, wait, this is getting better. Wait, I did do that. I did feel mm -hmm. that. This is getting better and that's getting better. And I feel the Holy Spirit. And just being aware of the longer you do this, the better it feels so that you can choose your path. Yeah. Later, mm -hmm. you know, and, and all of us have to choose every day. Mm -hmm. All of us are tempted every day for something that we shouldn't take part in, <laughs> right. you know. And, but yeah. what, and what's sad about that is you almost have to come to a breaking point before you look at yourself and self-analyze and say, okay, I need to get help. You, you, you're not getting help when your blood pressure is low and you're... <laughs> your liver is healthy you know you're you're it's it's almost like you have to come to some sort of breaking point in order for you to get help on your website you say you ask the question are you ready to stop negotiating yourself with yourself negotiating right. your with yourself with alcohol what does that look like that negotiation between your really you and your mind yeah and that's that's that mental gymnastics putting all of those boundaries around them and it's negotiating with yourself because it's secret suffering mm -hmm. you're not you're not generally talking to people maybe you're telling a spouse like yeah i really need to quit not quit but i really need to you know pull back on my drinking that's probably the first sign that you need to be aware okay and i talked to, like I said, hundreds of people that just have not really talked about the problem or denied it to others. And they've never really, they, they'd say, and it just breaks my heart, this is the first time I've talked to anybody about my problem. Mm. Imagine that negotiation with yourself. And, and then... And that's why programs are great. Doing it with others are, is great because of that accountability, realizing that you're not alone. The recent statistics, Rachel, that just came out from the National Institute of Health, 11.3% of people in the U.S. have some form of AUD, which is alcohol use disorder. Mm -hmm. Holy moly, that's over one in 10 people. And so think about it. If you know 20 people, which I'm sure we all do, whether it's relatives or friends mm -hmm. or coworkers, that's two to three people in your realm of space. Yeah that are struggling and not sharing it. And I just, I just did a, 
a podcast with my uh, with my uh, old pastor uh, just recently. I think it's being published today. And I asked him because I thought he was going to tell me, "Oh yeah, Roseanne, I knew you had an alcohol problem." Mm-hmm. And and I asked him without knowing his answer, and he said, "I had no idea." Wow. I know. I had you no kept idea. it that secret. I said, boy, was I good. (laughs) I'm a good secret keeper. (laughs) (laughs) And, and let me just tell you that my drinking was significant. Yeah. Like significant. And you kind of said at the beginning of negotiation, you said, oh, I'm just going to stick to weekends or I'm just going to stick to holidays. I mean, is that included in that negotiation? Yeah. And sometimes I'd make it two or three days, not five, you know, Mm -hmm. and but that wasn't good enough because that wasn't my promise only on Friday and Saturday. And it was agonizing Mm. to wait till Friday and Saturday, agonizing to wait. Wow. Because well, your body, you've changed all the neurotransmitters in your brain. And that's where the substance abuse is, is, is part of it. So let me just share with you. I also remember I, I started out my life as a heathen. I also used to be a very serious cigarette smoker. I mean, mm-hmm. two packs a day, cigarette smoker. Mm-hmm. And, and I gave it up. And I didn't give it up because I was a cigarette-aholic or a smoke-aholic. And I didn't recover from it. I chose to quit smoking because it was killing me. Okay. Right. Yeah. And that's ex- and and that was, ooh, that was a really serious addiction. I couldn't even manage a field trip with my children because I couldn't spend four hours without a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't. And and that respect with alcohol, I know alcohol can get there. Where, you know, I I would look forward to it. And mm-hmm. if I if I ever had an ability to, you know, vacations, absolutely, let's start the day with a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Um, but I could generally manage to wait till, you know, oh, it's 5 o'clock, <laughs> 6 o'clock. And sometimes I'd have to wait till 7 or 8, but I'd always catch up. Yeah. <laughs> I'd always catch up. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and so there's just a lot of getting out of your head, and understanding you're not alone, which is why I love to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Because I know there's a lot of people struggling. I know there's a lot of people having these conversations. And one, I'll just tell you that the science supports it's over one in 10 having mm-hmm. these conversations. Mm-hmm. And that it's worth it to see what's possible when you put it to the side. Mm-hmm. Because God has a different plan, right? There's there's so much more possible when you free up your time and your energy and your resources. Oh, that's where I was going with the with the the addiction part. People used to tell me on the cigarettes that the nicotine is out of your body in three days, and it's like, so it's supposed to be easier now because <laughs> it's not. And that's like there's two different things we're dealing with. One is the physiology of the substance that you're using and so your body needs to detox Mm -hmm. but after that and that might need medical attention in in terms of alcohol yeah but after that you're dealing with 
a neurological habit, a trigger mm. and a response, a trigger and a response. Okay. And it's that awareness that you mentioned that is key. You know, the awareness of how the serpent deceived, I mean, Eve in the garden made her doubt. Surely God didn't say that. Right. Surely you won't die. And when we start feeling really confident, that's when that's when Satan moves in. Yeah. <laughs> Surely you can handle just one. Right. Yeah. That, Surely this won't be addictive. And that's what Satan does is that negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. And so once we develop the awareness, and I, I call it like solving for cognitive dissonance, uh, you know, believing two competing thoughts about the same thing. In alcohol, we believe it relaxes us, it provides social um, comfort, it's, it's fun, uh, we need it on vacations, people won't like us if we don't drink, you know, all these reasons we should drink. And then we also go, wow, it's causing me depression and anxiety, it's causing me to be ill, it's causing me to do things that I'm embarrassed about. You're, you're believing two different things about the same subject matter. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of coaching is designed to go, what's true? Yeah. What's true? What's, what's God's truth? What's mm-hmm. true? Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody's listening right now and they say, man, I could really use some of this alcohol-free coaching from the ministry, the plans he has for me, how would they reach out? What what would be available for them right now? Because I know you just closed on one cohort. Uh, is there is there anything that would be available right now? Yeah, yeah. I would suggest as a starting point to go to the website, www.theplanshehasforme.com and download the five principles for alcohol freedom and that will get you on my email list. And what I'm excited about is I, I didn't, I wasn't able to do it in time for the show, but I'm developing a set of flashcards, so 15 flashcards to use when you go out to with friends or parties or a bar and how to respond to somebody that says, what, you're not drinking? And uh, I will... If you're on my email list, I'm going to send that to everybody. That should be ready in the next week or so. Okay. So I'm excited about that. And also, if you buy the book, you can come into the private Facebook group oh, that okay. I have. You can, yeah, scan so there's that support there. Yeah, and people are really having some, a good time supporting each other in there right now. And there's just a lot of activity. So in terms of not feeling alone, mm-hmm. definitely uh, that's, that's definitely a way to be supported. I, I'm in there as a coach, and our other coaches are in there providing support, too. It's just not the, the group sessions, you know, in the curriculum, but still very, very effective for people, very, very motivating. Okay. What I'm going to do is I will make sure that I put the book, The Plans That He Has For Me, a 12-week daily devotional for freedom from alcohol. I will make sure I put that link in the show notes as well as your website. And uh, you're on Facebook. Are you on Instagram as well? I am at Roseanne Forte Plans. Okay. And I'll, I'll stick those all in the show notes so that way people can get a hold of you. They can follow you and they can... 
uh, get themselves kind of hooked up and uh, yeah, get a hold of those flashcards if they, you know, yeah, when that time yeah. comes and I'm they excited. Come I'm excited about the flashcards because people really do struggle with how do I, what do I say yeah. when I'm out in social situations? And, and so in, this gives them. And even in Christian circles, which I find so crazy, I was telling you earlier, I never thought that as a Christian I would have to justify to other people like why I don't consume alcohol. I never thought that that would have to be a thing that I would need to explain. But those flashcards would come in handy, you know, for those that even even in the church that say, no, this is this is not what I'm going to do today. So, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had the same experience. My drinking days with my ex were with other church people. Mm. <laughs> we had, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Rosie, and, and we, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I'm is good. there anything else that you would like to share before we close? I really appreciate you saying that because I was thinking about something as we were talking. So one of the surprising outcomes of this devotional is that it can be given as a gift to somebody we care about in a very loving fashion. Mm. And a lot of people have come in, a surprising amount of people have come into the Facebook group. Like I say, how did, how did you hear about the book? And they're like, my aunt gave it to me or mm. my sister. Or my yeah. And because it's a 12 week challenge. And so you can say to somebody, Hey, I know you're struggling. Maybe this will help just a 12 week challenge. See how you feel. And I love that because, People can't say, well, why don't you go to AA? It's, or why don't you go to rehab? Or, <laughs> well, and you're not yeah, saying, hey, you're an alcoholic, so read this book. You're like, hey, this is just a challenge. Yes, and that's what I love about the 12 weeks. It's just a challenge. And people really love the front end of it because it is so compassionate and loving and going, look, it's a habit. It's not a character flaw. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, thank you for asking that question, because I know a lot of people may not have the issue, mm-hmm. but they know somebody that does. And right. it's been a, it's been a successful gift. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Roseanne. I really appreciate your time and I appreciate you just being vulnerable and sharing your story. There, There is a lot of shame that comes uh, with the consumption with alcohol. And we want to make sure that we're letting people know, hey, there is freedom if there is an issue. There is freedom, there's freedom in Christ, and there is help available for you. So thank you so much for sharing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Rachel. It was was great. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Unique On Purpose podcast. If you are out there struggling with excessive alcohol consumption or know someone who is, please check out Roseanne Forte's book and website of the same name, the plans he has for me. Unique On Purpose is available on iTunes as well as Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on a purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I'll see you next time.